Hello, and welcome back to FrameLab, the podcast about politics, language, and your brain. Hey, George. Hi, Gil. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, much better than the rest of the country. We've been hearing from a lot of people who uh, really like the podcast and have a lot of suggestions for different things we should do, and we're taking all of those under consideration. One of the things that people have suggested is that we provide a lot more concrete examples of things that people can do to make a difference in their conversations, in the things they write, in their interactions with journalists and reporters or their elected officials or their family members. So today we have an episode that's based around that idea. And it's actually based on something that went viral early in Trump's tenure as president. There was a list of 10 points that came from a talk that you gave in Sonoma County, California in January of 2017, shortly after Trump was inaugurated. And someone in the audience took notes and put together George Lakoff's 10 points for how we survive the age of Trump or something along those lines. And what happened was that that list went completely viral, um, shared thousands and thousands of times, seen by millions of people. But the way the social media sphere works these days, at some point your name was taken off of it and it started being attributed to everyone from Robert Reich to Bernice King, who's the daughter of Martin Luther King Jr. In fact, the Washington Post wrote an entire story about how the words of Martin Luther King Jr.'s daughter had touched the hearts of the resistance, and it was your list. And even after I contacted them and let them know that, they refused to correct it. Um, Anyway, it's a lot of fun. It still goes around uh, every once in a while. At the beginning of this year, it went around again, went viral. And today we're going to focus on your list, which actually doesn't contain exactly what you said in your talk, does it? Not even close. (laughs) Tell us a little about that. Well, you know, when somebody's at your talk and takes notes and then, you know, sends it out as your talk, you have no idea what they're going to put in there. So uh, the first thing that I was doing was making a couple of points. Uh, One, that the media was basically giving Trump uh, publicity. They were making Trump the topic of everything, and as president, uh, they felt that they had to um, uh, report on everything he tweeted and everything he said. And uh, what that meant was he dominated the media uh, in all the ways you know. He, you know, you frame first, you distract in, in certain ways, you blame other people, you say outrageous things, and so on. And um, this... Uh, is uh, So the first thing I said was, what do you do if you're reporting on this? Uh, I said this on, uh, on the media uh, with Brooke Gladstone. And uh, what you do if you're a reporter is you first say, what is he trying to distract from before you mention him at all? You say, there, uh, right now there is an investigation of uh, Michael Cohen or there's an investigation of... Uh, the Russian uh, issue and Russian involvement in the election and here's what's new about it and here's where it's coming after the president and uh, what he's probably afraid of, things like that. Uh, But you give the main thing he's trying to distract from 
first. That is, what is the real issue there? You tell the truth, you get it out there, you repeat it, and you say it in detail. Then you can say what Trump tweeted or said that day that contradicts that and, uh, and point out that uh, this contradicts the truth, that basically it is a false statement uh, and he's lying. And you can say that in probably 10 seconds. And then uh, you go back to uh, the real story, that is what, is what he's trying to avoid. So if you're in the media, that's something you can be doing. It is not what the media usually sees itself as doing, which is simply reporting on everything the president tweets and says and allowing the, him to control it. Well, if it bleeds, it leads. So basically understanding how the news works and that they're most likely to chase the most salacious lines or words or narrative that the president throws out, whatever's new, um, what you're saying is that people have to interrupt this process in a time like this and impose a frame where – First, we put it in the context of the truth and what re what's really going on. And the second point I was going to make was uh, comes from uh, the book Don't Think of an Elephant, which is um, if you're going to argue against what Trump is doing, you don't just present what he's doing and then present the argument against it. Because when you present what he's doing, you're reinforcing what he's doing. That is, the way the brain works, it takes ideas that are out there, and when they're repeated, they're, they're strengthened, even if you're arguing against them. So what you need to do is say the positive things that would undermine it first. That's where you have to go. Go positive, and instead of repeating you know, what he's said uh, or what he's trying to do that you're arguing against, say what should be done first make that the, the main issue, then you can say this isn't what's happening, and then you get back to the main issue, what should be going on and what you should be saying and doing. So the idea is to be positive about it uh, and uh, not to, uh, you know, uh, get, you know, reinforce what Trump is trying to do. You mean positive in terms of proactive in, in making your argument, not yes. positive about whatever Trump's doing. I think no, people might mistake those two. No, no, positive about... You know, what you think is right. See, George, if I were in the audience taking notes, I would have said, be positive about Trump. No, no, no. <laughs> this yeah, is how exactly. mistakes made. Now, the rule that the person wrote down for what you're explaining was don't use his name. Exactly. And that's not what I said. But there's a hint of the truth in there. There's that, a right? hint, which is you don't constantly say Trump, 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 Trump. And it's not just his name. It's his ideas, his framing of the issues. Uh you know, uh, his being at the center of everything and so on. That is, uh, that it's, that's very important. So it's not just the issue of the name. Uh, it is, uh, you know, that's a, a part of it, but it's not, uh, you know, giving dominance uh, to, uh, to that person. So going into the year two of the Trump administration, how are we doing it following this advice at not letting Trump run the news cycle and not repeating every single thing Trump says ad nauseum in the media? Well, the media is doing very badly at it. They're just eating it all up. Uh, you know, they, they love it because um, they, their, their jobs depend on it. Their profits depend on it and, uh, and so on. So yes, uh, we're doing extremely badly. Do you think that Reporters and editors are um, at fault for some of the success Trump has had in destroying our norms and our values during his first year in office and making it seem normal to be Ab as crazy as he is? 
Absolutely. I mean, all the reporting takes it as being normal. They all, it's all it become normal. It's normal reporting. And uh, that makes it normalized. And it's repeated over and over. So uh, it becomes normal. At the same time, there's a lot of great journalism being done to expose Trump's corruption and possible criminal um, liability. Well, more than just a lot of great journalism, this is the age of great journalism right now, uh, the, the greatest journalism since the Nixon administration. And uh, you can't say enough about uh, the remarkable uh, job that journalists are doing. At the same time, the media as a whole is not doing a good job. There's a difference between the journalists who are coming out with it and what the media is doing with what the journalists have. Let's move on to the second uh, supposed rule on the list that was uh, put out there in your, under your name. Uh, that was, remember, this is a regime and Trump's not acting alone. Now, what did you really say about that? I said two things. One was that uh, he has a base. Uh, there's 37% plus or minus two uh, of the population who believe in strict father morality and whose very idea of what's right and wrong and their very identity is bound up with uh, strict father morality and the moral hierarchy we've talked about and what Trump believes and what he's doing. So part of it is the American public, uh, that part of the American public who is supporting him. But the second part of it has to do with the fact that he's appointed people in the government who are carrying out what he's doing. And they're carrying out, uh, it, carrying it out uh, both actively and passively. They're doing it passively by not doing things, by not uh, uh, enforcing environmental regulations, by not appointing people to the State Department, uh, and so on. So that's the second part. Um, and, you know, uh, it's not that Trump himself is doing all these things. He has put people uh, in places of power to carry it out, and he's got a base. What about, besides Trump's base, what about corporations? We've recently seen the news that major corporations were paying Michael Cohen large amounts of money for a supposed insider track to the Trump administration. Are corporations part of that regime? Many of them are. Many corporations uh, have a lot to gain from uh, uh, Trump's view of what business is and business running the world and running the country. Uh, especially in the Republican Party. So, uh, you know, the Republican Party is following Trump. Republicanism and conservative Republicanism in general has to do with strict father morality and that moral hierarchy we mentioned. And uh, what we pointed out in the previous podcast is that all Republican uh, legislation fits that moral hierarchy that Trump and his base are following. So uh, that's uh, an important thing. He's not working alone. The Republican Party is doing his work for him. And so are AT&T, maybe, Novartis, and all the oil companies, and the, the tobacco oil. companies. Whoever has something to gain, every corporation has something to gain uh, from having laissez-faire capitalism. Laissez-faire capitalism says that we don't care if you're polluting. We don't care if you're... Um, putting out poisons and so on, uh, you know, uh, or you're mistreating your, your workers or, uh, and things like that. Uh, you can do what you want as long as it, it maximizes profits. 
And that is what's being out there. And also, it says we don't care if you're corrupting the government. So on this idea of remembering that Trump is not acting alone, that he's part of a regime, that there's a bigger power structure in place here, how are we doing at keeping the spotlight on all of that? Um, are we still focusing too much on Trump alone? I know people have been trying to also focus on the culpability of the Republican Party and people like Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell for enabling Trumpism. Um, I guess the biggest question will be whether we hold Republicans accountable in the midterm elections. Uh, that's going to be interesting, but that's not really what's out there a lot. What's out there a lot is the ob overt scandal, the Michael Cohen-type scandals. What isn't out there is that the actions of the Republican Party are enabling Trump to do what he's doing. That is, uh, the Republicans may not be uh, winning greatly because people may not like Trump, but Republicanism is not seen as enabling Trump. It's not there yet, and the Democrats have not yet pinned that the, on the Republicans the idea that they are uh, uh, that everything they want is what Trump wants. So, how can we do better going forward? Well, first, you have to hold the Republicans accountable for all of this. Uh, you have to to point out that uh, there's a reason why Trump is a Republican. He is the Republican. He is Mr. Republican. He is the person who enables the Republicans to get to have all their legislation seem normal. Yeah, exactly. This is what you get when you take the conservative strict father ideology, I think, to an extreme extent. Exactly. You get even this guy can sta be the standard bearer of such a low standard. <laughs> exactly. Um, the third rule that uh, the note taker at your speech put down was, this one's kind of familiar, I'd say, don't argue with those who support Trump. It doesn't work. And this is important. That is, if you have somebody who really believes in strict father morality, who is a strong supporter of Trump, you're not going to convince them. There is no way that you're going to convince them to, to do otherwise. Uh, it's, you know, and don't think you're going to. You know, uh, that's, you know, not great. And the uh, idea, remember, don't think of an elephant, and I am not a crook, said by Nixon. That is, when you uh, negate their arguments, uh, what you're doing is helping them because you're strengthening that argument in, 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 terms, of every, in terms of everyone who hears you. You're, you're, you know, you're getting their argument out there over and over. Uh, you're not going to convert them and so on. What you need to do is be positive about the things you really believe rather than, uh, you know, uh, saying other things. And, you know, there are plenty of things that are believed. Uh, suppose you take things we talked about before, which is um, uh, in-group nurturance, in-group care. Think, you know, people do care about their health care and their health. Uh, they do care about... Um, uh, education for their children. They do care about all sorts of local issues. Are they out of work? Uh, you know, uh, are they make uh, are they making money on their jobs? Are they being paid well enough? People care about those those things locally, and conservatives care about them in their communities, in their churches, in their neighborhoods, and so on. What you have to do is move it beyond the neighborhoods to say what would happen if you know everybody were your neighbor. You know, what would happen if you expended that in some way? And that's hard to do. 
because these things are mainly about your neighborhood and your in-group. So uh, there's a, a, w a very interesting article on the Atlantic recently um, and uh, by um, Jim Fallows and his wife, Deb. Uh, Deb was one of my students back in the 60s. Uh, going around in conservative communities, flying from community to community around the country, showing that in those communities, they're doing good things locally in their neighborhoods uh, and, you know, in their local communities, wherever you go, as conservative as they are on the national level, all sorts of good things are happening locally. And that's to be expected from in-group nurturance. The question is how you move them to things that can't be done locally. Infrastructure building, for example. Uh, dealing with global warming, for example. These are not things that can be done locally. They have to be done by a government. Well, one of the new themes we see emerging in some media coverage is uh, Trump supporters who are now turning against him because of some of the economic damage he's doing that's causing pain in their own lives. Um, you know, some of his his foreign policy decisions, the tariffs, for instance, are putting a lot of pressure on different industries. His cancellation of the Iran deal might really hurt workers at Boeing who are going to create uh, new planes for Iran that Iran was going to buy. So I've seen some videos online uh, uh, in places like Now This and others where people who voted for Trump are really questioning why they trusted him. Are stories like those capable of reaching other strict father conservatives if people start feeling betrayed and sharing their stories as Trump voters? It has, it has to go beyond the individual issues. It has to go beyond just uh, the tariffs. Uh, you know, uh, the tariffs are part of an overall strategy by Trump. Uh, and uh, this strategy is, is very, very tricky. So you're saying that um, it's too early to decide whether or not his strategy of economic chaos is going to be something that is more appealing to his base or something that uh, peels people away from it? And well, not only that, it's not seen as something general about him. You know, as long as it's an issue about a tariff and you can say, oh, well, let's get rid of the tariff, then, uh, you know, it's, it's not just about Trump himself. Let's go on to the next point on the, on the list. Um, that was focus on his policies, not on his orangeness or his mental state. This is important because people are always commenting about his uh, his strange uh, uh, tweets, uh, how you know uh, how uh, he doesn't read, uh, how, you know uh, how he doesn't understand all sorts of facts, and so on. They think maybe he's crazy. They they talk about him in, in psychological terms uh, as being too concerned about himself, as being a narcissist. Uh, they try to psychoanalyze him, and so on. But what's really going on you know, behind all of these things are what he's doing to our country. Uh, his policies follow from his strict father morality. And all of those things that he's doing to the country are consequences of what he thinks is right. And, and not only that, they're consequences of his cleverness in doing all, all these things. He's actually a very clever guy. He's not stupid. He's not crazy. He's clever. He's, a, you know, uh, he's had 50 years of being a successful salesman. So this is something that is uh, very important to concentrate on what he is doing to democracy itself, 
what he's doing to our freedoms and what he's doing to uh, to hurt people. I think on the way here, I was on the train and I read a piece about why isn't Donald Trump's fast food habit killing him? Is this an example of the kind of focus on stupid stuff that detracts from the more serious exactly. issues? Exactly. Yeah, it completely detracts from it. You know, uh, who cares? Well, uh, at the same time, I think it feels good for people to throw mud and to call names and to mock and scorn and ridicule, right? Doesn't that feel good to people to do? Yeah, but that doesn't help. <laughs> you know, it doesn't help people focus on the real damage that's being done. Yeah, he's still the president no matter how orange right. he is. And people, you know, made fun of Bill Clinton for, you know, eating, eating uh, junk food. Yeah, and he... Ended on a very popular note, despite many, many complications. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the next point on the list. Oh wait, actually, first I should ask you, how are we doing on this? Are we now focusing on what's important with Trump, or are we still spending too much time on the mockery and the ridicule? Too much time on the mockery and, and ridicule. Uh, what we're doing is um, focusing a lot on scandal on what can be prosecuted, which is important. I mean, the, with the, the Mueller investigation and uh, the investigation uh, now into Michael Cohen and so on, those are important things. It's not that they're not. But what's being done every day by the people he's appointed in his government is not being uh, covered as much. The protections that are being taken away, uh, you know, companies are saying it's wonderful we're getting rid of regulations. But, uh, you know, even the New York Times celebrating this on their front page are not pointing out that every one of those regulations is taking away, uh, taking away protections. They didn't have a list of the protections taken away when they published this thing about it's wonderful to companies that they're getting rid of regulations. I mean, this is something that's not being covered. Huge amounts of, of very dangerous things are not being covered. On that note, the next rule on the list was keep your message positive. They want the country to be fearful and angry because this is the soil from which their darkest policies will grow. Well, to keep your message positive in the sense of what you believe, what you think is right, and what traditional American ideals are. You know, we live in a country uh, where most people will agree with the idea uh, of what Lincoln said, that this is a government of, by, and for the people. Uh, of the people means the same kind of people are inside as out. That's not true of the Trump administration. Uh, by the people means that the people in the government have the same life experience as the people outside, people governed. That's not true when you're governed by billionaires. Uh, and then for the people says that the government, uh, you know, has the responsibility of taking care of its citizens, which is the opposite of the idea that um, you know, there are going to be winners and losers, and if you're a loser, too bad for you. Uh, that is all individual responsibility, not social responsibility. That idea of, of by and for the people is completely opposite of what you see in the Trump administration. Yet most people will say, yeah, that's how the country should run. And this is something that's really important. We need to be able to go back to American ideals and seeing that those ideals are being destroyed. Do you think that we're keeping the message positive enough or do you think that uh, people are starting to get a little fatigued, a little tired, a little pessimistic about the future? There's a lot of pessimism out there. There's a lot of um, resignation 
in the sense that, okay, uh, he lies, well, he's going to lie. Okay, uh, he's destroying democracy, well, we can't do much about that. It's like, okay, uh, we can't do much about it. And I think that is a sort of hopeless talk, which is the next thing on your list. I mean, uh, the idea that we should not have helpless, hopeless talk. We should be doing something about all of this. We should never be resigned to uh, accept what is going on right now. Yeah, I think those two points, five and six, are kind of one and the same. Um, I think keeping your message positive and understanding the need to be proactive and give people something to strive toward uh, fits right in with no more hopeless, helpless talk. Uh, the next point here is an interesting one. Support artists and the arts. This, uh, it goes beyond that to the humanities. Uh, there are a lot of people who say, you know, why should the humanities be taught at all? Why should there be courses in art in the, in the, in the schools? Uh, why should you take courses in the humanities and arts? Why don't you just take courses in how to make money? Uh, maybe computer science is okay because you can make money at it, but you know what about the, why should you be studying anything in the humanities and the arts? And that misses the central point of our, what our country is about. Our country was set up on a principle that citizens care about other citizens, work through the government to provide public resources for the freedom of everybody, public resources that enable you uh, to... Uh, be healthy, public resources that uh, create scientific science and technology that is important for people and for business, uh, all sorts of things like infrastructure, roads and bridges and, uh, and airports and uh, training of pilots in the Air Force and things like that, uh, as well as com you know, all of the computer technologies developed through the government. These are things that are important for people, and that's because citizens care about other citizens and are willing to support their government, pay their taxes, so all of these public resources become available. That is a, a crucial thing. Now, what about humanities and the arts? They are about empathy. The humanities, the social sciences, and the arts, when you study them, you learn about other people and what they're like and why they're and, and how to be more of a human being, how to care about people, uh, what they've gone through, uh, what they endure, uh, what social issues arise that people have to live in terms of that you yourself uh, will find it, you know in your life. That's what the study of the humanities and the arts is about, and it's very important to support the arts and the humanities uh, in this way. The next point on the list, be careful not to spread fake news. Check it. Facts do matter, and they matter because if they're important, they're important for moral reasons because there, you have a responsibility to, uh, you know, to, to not give in to immoral action, to not give in to illegal things, and so on. That is, if you spread fake news, you are helping to create, to undermine the basis of democracy. But should we use that term? Isn't that Trump's term? Well, it's Trump's term, fake news. And the, the fact is that Trump created the fake news that exists, the very idea that you can put fake news out there. Because which what, means lies, right? Which means lies, which means absolute lies. And so what's the best antidote to these lies? Reporters, excellent reporting, paying attention to reporting, trusted news services, 
trust uh, institutions uh, that media institutions you can trust. Those are the things that are that are necessary to support. Subscribe. You know, it's not that expensive to subscribe to uh, decent newspapers. Uh, it is a, a real investment in democracy to do so. The next rule, or the next point on the list, point number nine, it was take care of yourselves. Take care of yourselves is a very, very important thing that um, has to do with um, not seeing what you do as sacrificing your life. Uh, this, think of it in terms of being a parent. If you're going to take care of a child, you have to take care of yourself. If you're sick or unable to support yourself or earn a living and so on, that's not good for your child. Uh, you're not going to be able to function. To be able to care for a child, you have to take care of yourself too. That is absolutely necessary. And if you're going to uh, be part of the best part of this country, you have to be healthy. You have to be make to make sure that it's not just you're being self-sacrificing on everything you do. Rather, you know, do it in a way that allows you to go on doing it. You have, if you're going to be able to to do, do all the things that need to be done as a citizen, you have to take care of yourself. You have to be healthy. It to be a sustainable approach. That's right. The last rule on the list, which, by the way, Bernice King had titled Some Wise Advice Circulating, which I, I kind of like that as a title, actually, for such a list. Um, the last rule on the list called Some Wise Advice Circulating was a word we've all become familiar with in the past year and several months that Trump has been president, and that is one word, resist. Persist. That the best resistance is persistence in the positive. Persistence in what's right. Persistence in getting the truth out there. Persist in the positive. That persistence is the best resistance. And I mean persistence in all sorts of ways. Protecting the truth. Absolutely important. Uh, you know, when, when we say fake news, you're suggesting that news is fake in general. You want to protect the truth. Make sure that that you support reporters and 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 trusted institutions uh, of reporting. Uh, you know that you hold the Republican Party responsible for uh, all the things that Trump is doing, uh, and for supporting it and carrying out uh, his agenda. Uh, things of that sort, where you hold them responsible, how by positively going against them by supporting candidates who are running against these folks uh, and who are, who are upholding your values. Remember, in voting, everyone votes. You don't stay, if you stay home, you're actually voting for uh, the other side. You're voting for, for people who don't believe what you believe. You have to go to the polls in order to actually, uh, you know, get people in there who you believe. Because you're going to vote one way or the other. The question is whether you stay home uh, and, and vote for the other side. Ideas like this are important because they're usually not said. What we're trying to do in these podcasts is say what is usually not said. <laughs>